Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside the founder of brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. That's right. I guilted him in to come in on the show. And maybe part of that is the fact that the Bucks did snap their three-game losing streak against the Lakers. But we'll get into that in just a second. But I'm just excited that he's here for today's episode that is brought to you by Locker Room. You can download the app and join me. Next week now, we did a live episode yesterday to get in on the action. Locker room changing the way we talk about sports. The Bucks beat the Lakers 112-97. It was a little bit of a sketchy start, Frank, but after that, they really took care of a business, uh, took care of business against a team that uh, clearly shorthanded, and uh, they did what they should have done. Yeah, it feels like a very long time ago that the Lakers started this game 8 out of 12 from three-point <laughs> range, and uh, <laughs> anybody who sat through the the full uh, brutality of the Clippers game where LA just kept coming and coming and coming with those three pointers, especially in the second half. Uh, I think we were all thinking, Oh geez, is this happening again? Seriously, the Lakers now uh, LA goes two for 24 from three point range <laughs> in the final three quarters bucks. Meanwhile, 14 out of 26, only 26 threes attempted by the bucks. Um, but they hit 54% of those. So a double outlier game uh, in terms of three-point shooting, but this time in a good way. And unfortunately, the Bucks kind of needed that because pretty nondescript affair, uh, 22 turnovers by the Bucks. Giannis with nine turnovers in this game. Ugh, just so sloppy. Um, and, you know, really slow starts. I mean, obviously slow start from the Bucks. I mean, they, they didn't get out to like a huge deficit. You know, they, they were always sort of within touching distance of the Lakers. I don't know that, I don't know that it ever got double digits in the first quarter, but it felt like it was kind of a slog to start the game. Chris missed, missed a bunch of shots early. Giannis was very uninvolved in terms of getting his own shot. Um, and then kind of things started to go, you know, kind of started to break and, you know, credit to Drew Holiday. He was, uh, the Bucks' best player. I feel like we've been saying that more often that you know Drew Holiday is just playing at a really high level and um, homecoming to to California for him. Twenty eight points, eleven out of sixteen from the field, eight rebounds, six assists, four steals, a block, plus twenty one in thirty four minutes. He was terrific. He was the best player on the floor tonight, and that that helped tidy up a game where where Giannis and Chris did take a little while to get going. Chris does finish with seventeen. Just eight out of 18 shooting, but eight assists, six rebounds. Uh, and Giannis, uh, 25 points on 13 shots, eight out of 10 free throws. We like that. 10 rebounds, four assists, did have three blocks. But uh, yeah, those nine turnovers just really ugly uh, tonight. But, um, you know, <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks needed a win, and, and that's what they got. Yeah, it's one of those weird games where you don't you can't really take anything away from the win in terms of a positive because they beat a team that was led by Kyle Kuzma and KCP right so i mean when you what when you're watching this game and i think the ESPN uh, ad, advertisement 
pregame as I was watching the end of Dallas Boston summed it up. They had Giannis versus Dennis Schroeder. And it's like, is this what ESPN is really going for? Why didn't you just go with a picture of Giannis? Honestly, you might attract more people to watch this game. It's absolutely absurd. So you don't watch this game and think, Ah, great. The Bucs, they they found their rhythm in the second half. No, you don't. You already outlined the fact that they weren't exactly perfect in this game. And I don't know if that 21 turnovers... I've got 21 here, but I don't know whether 21... Team team 22 22 team turnovers. Yeah, 21 individual. Yep. I do see that now. I don't don't know whether that's a season high, but it certainly feels like it. But I guess the one thing from a more broader perspective, which is interesting to me, and it's an ongoing conversation is the defense, and like you said, I don't know. I mean, that feels like it was two days ago when the Lakers started off the way that they did. But what were you seeing defensively? I mean, I, I tweeted about it, and and the reason I tweeted about it is because we've spoke about this before. Sometimes when the Bucks give up threes, it, it can you, you can see that you know fans in general are frustrated as, you know, got every right to be frustrated. We're sick of seeing teams go lights out from three against this team. But it doesn't always mean that it's the same old Bucks. And, and tonight... For instance, if you were going to play drop coverage, which I know a lot of people get frustrated with, they've been burnt before in pick-and-pop scenarios, but if you're playing Andre Drummond, then that's yeah, that's a perfectly fine defense. I mean, he's not going to hurt you from the outside. He's going to try and get the ball in the paint, and we saw in the second quarter that Brook Lopez had a nice impact. To me, the ongoing problem that we continue to discuss is the fact that the Bucs do overhelp, particularly on the weak side. And, and these days, so many players are capable of making that cross-court pass that they can burn you in the corner and they can burn you on the, on the opposite side wing with one pass or, with a, or get you scrambling in a, in a ball swing. And I thought that that was the problem again in the first quarter. The Bucs were too, too keen, too insistent on trying to send two or three guys to, whether to someone that has penetrated into the paint or on, on a post-up scenario. And I just think they're just going to trust each other a little bit more, particularly when you're coming up against a Lakers team like this, because if you don't trust your guys to defend one-on-one against this Lakers team, what are you going to do when you come up against a Brooklyn team or you come up against Miami or whoever it is, Philadelphia in the playoffs? It's not going to cut it because they're not going to shoot two for 24 for the rest of the game. You've just got to be better. And this to me is more of the problem. And again, we it feels like three point defense has been a problem for the Bucks well beyond Mike Budenholzer because we talk about Jason Kidd going back then. We always talked about it. Those days it was the corner threes that hasn't necessarily been a problem with the Bucks. But but what did you see? Because it is frustrating to see, particularly against this team, that again it, they just don't seem to have the trust or their instincts drag them and suck them to the ball when they probably shouldn't. I, I think it's more the 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 instinct rather than necessarily yeah. trust. Because um, I think especially like someone like Giannis he's always like hunting the ball. So he, he gravitates towards the ball. You know, he doesn't want to stay on his man in the corner and let somebody drive down the lane and, and get a shot at the bucket or whatever, even if it Brooks around there. So I, I think that's, it's largely, I mean, this is just what they have sort of drilled and um, you know, it's kind of a hard thing to shake. And I agree. It's, you know, I think, um, I think it, it's, it's just one of those things now, like I, I see it too, like people, people like conflate, like, drop coverage with um, overhelping, which is two, two very different things. I mean, you can overhelp no matter what scheme you're running. And I think the Bucks, uh, even when they switch, I think they often overhelp as well. Uh, I think it's, you know, just a endemic sort of thing with, with the way that they kind of, you know, their mindset. And I think with Giannis in particular, it's not shocking because he's a playmaker. He wants to be around the ball. Um, you know, Dante, very different type of player but he also likes to buzz around the ball and gamble and do things. 
um, which can also mean that that his teammates have to help <laughs> because he gets he gets out of plays and things like that, right? Um, I think sometimes people like uh, then kind of go the opposite way of like just don't help, don't help. It's like well, no, it you you can't just you need to help sometimes like the, the, the NBA players are, are too good. You can't use your hands to really, you know, check on the perimeter and all that. Like you need some degree of helping or it's just going to be a layup line, but finding that balance is, is obviously a really hard thing. And you know, tonight, I mean, I think Lakers had a 95 offensive rating. That's terrific. That's going <laughs> to kind of balance out a little bit. The, 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 the badness we saw uh, on in, uh, in Staples on Monday, but um, but that, that's just something that they're going to have to really cope with probably all year. And it's going to be something I'm sure we're going to watch in the playoffs. And, you know, we go back to that Toronto series two years ago, they got so concerned with Kawhi Leonard hitting yeah. mid-range jump shots that I think they, they began to, you know, overhelp. And we obviously know what Toronto did to them from turn the three point line. And I know we were DMing about that with, with Eric and, and, uh, you know, Mitchell and others, uh, you know, a few days ago and, you know, ironically, we're saying, well, at least that made sense, you know, against that version of Kawhi because he wasn't as good a passer. Um, but, you know, certainly if you're going to do that against the current Kawhi, who's now a better passer or certainly LeBron James, or, you know, then you're, you're going to get punished um, with with those kickouts and, and open threes. And, uh, and look, eight out of 12, I mean, the Lakers made some just kind of stare down, you know, contested threes. It, when a team hits that many threes, it's pretty much always going to be a combination of they're hitting shots and they're also getting some open looks, right? You can't say the defense is doing a great job when the team hits eight out of 12 against you. You also can't say that the other team is just knocking down open shots because, you know, teams don't, even the best players do not shoot 60% on open threes. Uh, so, so anyway, so it, again, I, I agree with your general kind of statement though. Not a lot we can kind of take away from, from a game like this. And I, I looked it up beforehand, you know, as far as like three point shooting and, you know, the shot distribution, things like that. Um, the Bucks are allowing fewer threes as a percentage of their overall shots this year than last year. So they're actually have moved slightly in the right direction there. They're still a bottom five team, I think, in the league in terms of percentage of, of shots from three. Uh, but they're be- they've been be- they've gotten better in terms of not allowing corner threes. I think they're 12th in, in yeah. you know, fewer share of corner threes. Uh, but unfortunately, teams are shooting better from pretty much everywhere on the court this year. You know, at the rim is the big area. Uh, the Bucks are allowing fewer shots at the rim this year than last year, which I think is interesting because you think about, oh, how they're playing so much more switching. Is that going to translate into, you know, less, less help at, at the rim? No, actually, they're, they're actually only 2% fewer uh, shots at the rim, but teams are, sh- are con- converting 7% at a 7% higher clip at the rim, falling from first to, to ninth in terms of accuracy at the rim. Um, so that's obviously a big change. Mid-range jump shots. Last year, 38% allowed. This year, 43%. Again, that's just noise. Last year, they were third. This year, 21st. Last year, they were probably lucky. This year, they're unlucky. You know, So the normal number would probably be somewhere in between. And then in terms of threes, um, you know, we talked earlier in the year where teams were hitting like, well, like 40% almost from three against the Bucks, where we said, well, they can't remain that good. Um, and it's come, can easy to come down. Bucks are allowing now 38.6%. That's still 26th in the league in terms of three-point shooting. We know three-point shooting is up a bit in the league. Um, but that's still 2% above where they were a year ago when they were at 36.5%, which was 18th. So um, the shot distribution the Bucks are allowing is actually, you know, uh, on its own, I think generally pretty good um, and very comparable to where they were a year ago. I think the challenge is just teams are making more shots. 
Um, and again, how much of that is, you know, poor, poor defense, more open shots. I'd have to double check. I, I know there, the, the, the number of open threes they were allowing per game was down from last year. Um, when I looked a little while ago and imagine that that's still the case. So, um, so yeah, I, I think just again, some of it's just, you know, teams just making more shots. And, um, I think we've seen obviously with the defense improving statistically, uh, that things have started to work, you know, the average, the, the, the kind of mean regression has kicked in a little bit, but, um, you know, certainly the way things are looking now, obviously the bucks are not going to end up with a historically great defense the way they did a year ago. But as we've been saying, you just hope that there are more malleable defense and, and they're a team that's going to be maybe a little more flexible to defend in different ways come playoff time. All right, guys, I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast that I think you're really going to love called Death at the Wing. It's a sports documentary podcast hosted by Adam McKay, writer and director of The Big Short, Vice, and also Anchorman. 1980s basketball saw players like Magic Johnson and Dr. J becoming household names, bringing faster and flashier style of play that captivated TV audiences. But along the way to wealth and stardom, the excess of the 80s took its toll on the next generation of basketball. And never in the history of any sport have we seen so many who were ready to become stars face tragic deaths in such a short time frame. McKay is joined by sports journalists and experts who live through these moments in history to explore this overlooked phenomenon and the web of social, political, and cultural forces at play. If you love The Last Dance or you enjoy 30 for 30 podcast, then I think you're going to love Death at the Wing. Search for Death at the Wing wherever you get your podcast to start listening. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you with all the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I'm glad you did the research, Frank, because I I didn't go that in-depth, but I mean, that all checks out with what we feel like we're seeing. And I just continue to look at teams all around the league, including Milwaukee, and think to myself, okay, well, well, what does this mean with the way the teams are playing offense for the playoffs? And that's why I don't want to keep banging the same drum here, but that's why I do think getting that little glimpse of what P.J. Tucker could potentially bring uh, makes me more optimistic about what the Bucks can do at their peak defensively in a playoff series when you're playing majority of starters, your best defensive players out there with, with Drew and Chris and Giannis and PJ and a fifth guy, whoever that may be. Because we did see tonight that there was a lineup and it was late in the third quarter and whatever, it's a regular season game. But you had Thanasis, Pat, Dante, and I believe Bryn Forbes out there with Giannis. And, you know, I mean, you spoke about it. You spoke about the fact that Giannis has a tendency that he wants to help. That's what makes him so great. That's how he won the Defensive Player of the Year. He can get away with it because he not only has the athleticism and also the smarts that, yes, he takes gambles. Sometimes he gets burnt, but he also, he, he saves a lot of points. He's, he's a difference maker defensively, but then you have Dante who will gamble, Pat who will gamble, and, and then Thanasis who can be a little bit erratic as well. So when you have all those guys out on the floor, it's yeah, it's not a good lineup. And you hope that that's not a lineup you're going to see in a playoff game. So I do think about still the, the peak of what this defense can bring in the playoffs. And I like what I see. But as far as how teams are scoring, I, that's why I look at the Bucks' offense and I say, okay, I, I think that this team defensively can be, can be really, really damn good with their best players on the fall when they are locked in. But I want to see how their offense continues to uh, get better and continue to improve because everyone's scoring. Last year, there was only one team in the entire NBA that had an offensive rating of greater than 115. That was Dallas last year, 115.9. If you look at it this year, 
there's seven teams that are above 115 points. And the seventh team is at that exact number, 115.9. Then you have Milwaukee, Portland, Utah, Denver, the Clippers and the Nets, all very good teams, all playoff teams that are just scoring at will. So it's you're right. I mean, teams are just scoring and you kind of have to choose and you have to pick. And I think that the Bucks probably understood that if they continued to play 100% of the time the way they did in terms of protecting the rim, they were going to get sizzled from the outside. And, and sometimes they still have, but it's just becoming harder and harder to stop these teams. But again, particularly during the regular season when you're playing back-to-backs, when the games are so compressed, the effort level maybe isn't there consistently every single night. It's tough. It is tough. And I think that we do need to acknowledge that a little bit. Yeah, just to round out the, the previous comments, so last year the Bucks allowed the most open threes in the league at 21 per game. Opponents shot 37.5% on that, which was about middle of the pack. Um, this year they're allowing 20 uh, open threes per game, which is second worst in the league, but they are fourth worst in terms of opponent three-point shooting on those open threes at 41.5. Um, so, you know, uh, again, you look at what what how, how the defense performed last year, you would say, well, it was great, but it was also underlying. There was also, you know, some some positive variance, let's say, with opponents not really killing them in ways that maybe they could ever. You know, they weren't. They certainly weren't unlucky from from three in terms of opponent shooting last year and this year. Certainly, they have have not been on the lucky side of things. So, um, and you know, it's it's interesting. You look at the Raptors, and I, I thought I saw a stat the other day that basically was saying you know, the Raptors just last year. They, I think, feasted on in, in, in some of these numbers. They gave up tons of, I think they gave up the most open threes of anyone last year and, you know, really weren't punished for that. Um, and it's, it's just kind of one of these things. This year, the Raptors are right behind the Bucks, basically even with the Bucks in terms of opponent three-point shooting. And, um, you know, it, it just goes back to, you know, I feel like we've used the term make or miss league a lot. Last year, the Raptors had the best wide open deep quote unquote defense <laughs> in the league 35.4 percent no team allowed worse uh three-point shooting on wide open shots and um you know they, you know again that that's that's it, your eyes are gonna you know i think miss different blown defense assignments and you, you again those numbers swing two percent either way with the volume of threes that teams shoot that's a really meaningful change in terms of how many points you're giving up per game, per hundred possessions, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying the Bucks are bound to, to be better for the rest of the season, but um, it, it's, it's just one of these things. If, if you're trying to understand kind of what, what's happened that again, a lot of this is just some, some shooting variants from three point range, but also, um, you know, we can talk some other time about why the, the rim defense hasn't been as good. Um, and it's been, you know, part of that's, it's not as good. Brooke Lopez around, but you know, Giannis's uh, opponent rim defense numbers are way worse than they were a year ago as well. You know, is Giannis a worse rim defender this year than last year? I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't have any practical reason to to think that, but uh, but you know, it is what it is. So anyway, um, anything anything else you'd want to kind of call out from this game? I think we hit on Drew Holiday looking pretty terrific, and um, Dante. Pretty solid night from him. 13 points on eight shots, hit half of his threes. Uh, uh, Thanasis and, and, and Mamadi Diakite, I think, I don't know if, I don't know if they, they tie for the most improbable threes. Diakite hit a like pretty heavily contested catch and shoot three <laughs> from the corner late in the first quarter, which was actually a pretty 
you know, at the time it was kind of a, yeah. an important shot because the Bucks were really <laughs> struggling to kind of keep up with the Lakers two point shooting. And Giannis found him in the corner. He immediately put it up and just splashed it, uh, which was like, okay, I, I, I didn't know that that was a shot you were comfortable even taking. Um, in terms of, you know, just, I know, I know he was shooting threes in the G league, but you know, heavily contested threes uh, in the first quarter wasn't really something you're necessarily used to, to him doing. So that was, that was nice. And then the late in the game, we saw Costas get in the game. They left Giannis in with, with the Nassus to have like a nice moment there with all three brothers sharing the court. Um, but the only one that scored uh, after that happened was the Nassus on a sidestep three pointer. Cause you know, apparently Thanasis can just shoot three pointers now, I guess. I guess that's the thing. Let's talk about betonline.ag now, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA is on the road to the playoffs. College basketball is wrapping up in both the men's and women's, and the NHL is in full swing. But BetOnline, as we know, covers awards, TV shows, reality TV. It has the real, up to, real updated odds. And props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKED ON, L O C K E D O N. It's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And speaking of, uh, you know, I mentioned NCAA, that's starting to wrap up. But what about Built Bar Madness? Because you've heard me talk about Built Bar Madness and the and this the, the bar that is low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. It's fantastic for you. But now we're into the flavorful four, as you guys know, heading towards the championship matchup. Cookie Dough Chunk is through. It made it through. Incredible run for Cookie Dough Chunk. But now we're talking about mint brownie and coconut brownie chunk. Uh, this is basically the battle of Justin Garcia versus Kane Pittman here. I would go for the coconut brownie chunk. He would go for the mint brownie. We'll find out, but you can vote yourself by going to builtbar.com or also at bar underscore built on Twitter. And also, don't forget to use the code LOCKED15 when you go to builtbar.com to get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. To check back, and see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar ever. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I didn't bring this up. There is one other thing I want to talk about, Andre Drummond, just quickly before we wrap this up. But oh, yeah. last game, Giannis came out and hit those two threes early in the game or started shooting jump shots. And I've got a couple of brothers. And in my head, I just would like to think that Giannis, some part of Giannis, as happy as they are for each other's success, some part of Giannis was like, hey, fuck you, man. You get the start and you want to shoot four for five from three? I'm going to show you that I can come out and shoot some threes as well. And that's why he came out and did that. Part of me hopes that that was some of the reasoning there for why Giannis shot those threes against the Clippers early. But uh, as far as tonight, to, to really last thought, again, not a lot to take it from the Bucks, I don't think, personally. But Andre Drummond did make his, uh, his first start with the Lakers. And it was interesting. You commented on this in, in the DM. And I totally agree with it. You said something along the lines of, uh, I think I'm more fearful or still more fearful of Marcus Gasol than I am Andre Drummond. And I totally agree with that. 
Drummond clearly, I mean, he's been on some bad teams, so I don't think that he deserves you know, all the blame for this. But I, I looked it up during a game because I, I knew it was going to be an ugly number for him. 12 straight games he's lost to the Bucs, whether he was with the Pistons, Cavs, or Lakers now by an average of 17 points. And the Bucs just genuinely beat down on teams that Andre Drummond's on. And he's, he's not really someone that you, you're fearful of defensively, slowing down Giannis too much. He can't really score around. I mean, he's one of the worst efficiency scorers around the basket. So I know early in the game, I think it was Mark Jackson said he's a lob threat. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he will be with LeBron, but he certainly hasn't been so much in the past, even though he's put up some big numbers. But when Marcus Gasol came out, you saw that he's just smarter. He can defend Giannis. He can be a little bit more effective defending Giannis anyway. I'll say that. And he's a beautiful passer. I just thought even though he only played five minutes, it was surprising to me that they left it until the fourth quarter for Gasol to come in. And it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're matchups, you know, that, that Drummond can, can be better. Uh, and more useful than Gasol. And, and look, I, I don't watch the Lakers much. And, you know, I, I think the general consensus has been that, that Gasol has been disappointing. But, yeah, yeah I mean, I, you know, you think about, okay, well, if you need a big guy to defend, and, and obviously they're in the West, so, you know, they're, they're not going to have to face Joel Embiid until, unless those two teams made it to the finals. But, you know, we know Gasol's history of defending Joel Embiid is, is excellent. Uh, Andre Drummond literally, like, you know, has has just had a nightmare against Joel Embiid. Like Embiid is, you know, has beachfront property in Andre Drummond's brain. Um, so you, you you know, if you're getting Drummond to to be a defender, that doesn't really seem to check out with with you know historical basis. Um, I, I do think though, look, you know, when he's out there and he doesn't really have help, that's that's how, when he's going to look the worst. And so I, I do think if he's out there on a team with with LeBron and, and AD, um, that gives him a much better chance to, you know, not have, not have to have the ball in his hand. We know he's obviously not a big threat trying to create out of the post. If he's just crashing the boards and, you know, catching lobs from Giannis the way that, or sorry, from LeBron the way that uh, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee have the past couple of years, you know, I think that gives him a much better chance to, to be that type of complimentary player rather than being a guy that, you know, needs to go out and, and score 16 to 17 points a game, which uh, you know, generally has has been something he's had to do on kind of lesser teams in, in Detroit and Cleveland. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not really a big Andre Drummond fan. I, I'm, I honestly have not been that worked up about all the buyout stuff. Um, Cause I mean, you know, like Blake Griffin, Drummond, whatever. I mean, it, it's not, I mean, if these guys had value, like other teams might've wanted to trade for them, but they had no value at their, <laughs> at their contracts, you know? And so it's, you know, it, it was what it was. It's not like Blake Griffin is averaging 25 points a game for, for the Nets, right? I think, um, you know, those guys are, are going to have more right-sized roles um, with their new teams. And that will probably make people think of them in better lights because they're no longer going to be making massive amounts of money to be, you know, over, you know, kind of over their heads in is being first or second options. But um, I, I don't know. I don't lose that much sleep over it. I, I'm not. I'm not that worried about it in the grand scheme of, you know, the haves and have nots and big markets for small markets. Um, I think, I think to me, buyout guys are sort of the least of my concern in that regard. I think the real concern is, is still, you know, as a league can, can small markets or, you know, some of the non glamor franchises, can they retain their, their young star players, right? Obviously Milwaukee, we've been very, very fortunate that we've got Giannis on a third contract here, but 
but to me that's more that that is way more important to the league's sustainability than you know does an, an aging Blake Griffin uh, get a little bit rejuvenated playing for the Brooklyn Nets than than uh, some other team. And by the way, one more stat for you, Kane. So uh, Giannis and Thanasis both go one for one tonight. Giannis improves to 30.7% from three. Hmm. Thanasis jumps from 33% to 37% <laughs> with wow. one make because <laughs> he's taken so few threes this year. So, uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the over under is on, uh, on those two guys uh, and their three point percentage for the season, but the Nassus, uh is uh, has, has jumped out to a lead here. So we'll, we'll see if that holds up. Um, I'd say it's probably, probably best for everyone. If, uh, if Giannis catches him, because uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that the NASA is not going to end up in the high 30s in terms of three-point shooting. But hey, the NASA, if you want to, if you want to keep playing in that rarefied air and hitting random three-pointers, uh, be 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 our guest. I'm getting all nostalgic right now. This is taking me all the way back to the 2020 season when Robin Lopez shot better from three than Brook Lopez. We haven't seen <laughs> a three-point percentage race like this uh, in a year, so this is incredible. So we'll see how that plays out. Hey, uh, next game on the schedule, Frank, two days' time or two nights' time, I guess. Oh, whenever. It's, it's Friday night. Whenever you're listening to this podcast, I'm not going to try and say uh, what day this is. But they're playing the Portland Trailblazers. Um, you know what that means? That means that they've got a meeting with Norman Powell. And uh, I think that oh, was geez. very, very unfortunate. Out of all teams that Norman stinking power could have got traded to, it was the Blazers with the Bucks have to meet up with them within a week. Yeah, let's just say you know, CJ McCollum is back. Nurkic is back. <laughs> they just got Norm Powell. Um, cool. I, I would say it's a very good thing that the Bucks managed to get a win tonight <laughs> yes. because if they had somehow conjured a loss from this and you know, staring at a potential five-game losing streak after Portland. And they, I think, do they play Sacramento? Who, who do they, they have? A, I think that's a back-to-back next weekend, right? Friday, Saturday. Uh, I'm pulling it up right now. You really put me on the spot. Yeah, the Kings after that, who, by the way, have been playing really well. They've been playing well, yeah. So you really can't, really can't take anything for granted. I think if you get a, you know, not to set our sights too low here, but I think if you get a split out of this weekend, um, that's probably not, not really a, that bad of an outcome. And then, um, you know, you come back, you, you still have to go to Golden State, which obviously you hope that you can win there and then uh, play in Dallas against Luca and company before returning home to, to face the Hornets. So, uh, yeah, just uh, at this point, important to kind of just keep grinding out some wins. Um, Brooklyn, Brooklyn lost James Harden to a hamstring injury midway through their game tonight, but they still got a, one, a win. And uh, Brooklyn now atop the East at 33 and 15, Philly 32 and 15. Bucks two and a half back of the Nets and two back of the Sixers at thirty and seventeen. So, pretty much those those two doubleheader uh, back to you know well I guess they're not back to backs but those two uh, series mini series against those two teams uh, mm-hmm. later this season are certainly the pretty much what the Bucks hopes of uh, catching those teams probably comes down to at this point. I'm going to say I would not bet on the Bucks to to sweep to sweep two mini series, even though they're both at home against those te- those two teams. I I just don't trust the Bucks that much. But um, you know, it's uh, it's definitely a good a good prep for for the playoffs. Those are the teams that if you want to come out of the East, you're going to have to be able to go through. And certainly, if you're number three in the seedings, very good chance you're going to have to go through both. 
No, it's a good point you make. And that's why, you know, the Clippers loss was frustrating. And even in terms of this trip, I was on the fan this morning in Milwaukee and Rami asked me what I thought a good record would be for this road trip, this six game trip. And I said, listen, if they can finish three and three, I think they're probably going to take it because these games, uh, you know, the last four games here are really, really tough. So we'll wait and see. But uh, shout out to you, Frank. You know, you've made one game on the West Coast road trip and uh, I was fairly confident watching the fourth quarter of that Clippers game. I wasn't going to have you, but I've dragged you on here. It's past midnight. It's time for you to get some sleep. I agree. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow to wrap up the week (laughs) ahead of the uh, weekend back-to-back that we just mentioned. So it's going to be a bit of fun. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but who knows? We'll do it tomorrow. Join us then. Uh, Catch you guys later.